Whether it was Margate or Malaga, Dublin or Dubai, Blackpool or Bermuda, we've had the summer break now. Now it's time to put away the snorkel, the volleyball and the bike cream because the Premier League is back. This season we'll have a Winter World Cup plonked in the middle of it. So who will fall behind in the marathon and who will crash through the finish line first? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Delighted to say everyone reported for pre-season training on time. Everyone fighting fit for the new campaign. Fresh from his tour of Australia, honouring the end of Neighbours, no doubt. Uh, Mark O'Hare back with all of the numbers you need. Mark, do you know what Neighbours is? Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Neighbours. That's all right. Never watched wow. it, but uh, yeah, I know about it. Never about watched home. it, but he knows about it. Home Excellent. and away fan here, so yeah. Really? You were a well, home and away guy, a home and away ultra rather than a neighbours guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, begrudgingly, yeah, I've, I've pretty much got a season ticket these days because uh, the other half watches it um, consistently at 6.30 every night. So uh, I kind of see some of it, yeah. And where home and away has endured, neighbours has bitten the dust. So there you go. Uh, Mark, we've still got the anti-post shows on the channel. Premier League one, EFL one, top five league shows. So... If you haven't seen those or listened to those yet, check those out. But just a little reminder for people, Mark, if you look at the Premier League title outright on the exchange, Manchester City 1.79 to win the Premier League, Liverpool 3.55. Now, I know you don't think there's much between the teams, but I look at that 1.79. That feels quite decent to me from a Manchester City point of view because they do set the gold standard in this league. They do. Uh, that price has drifted a, a fair bit since we actually did our sort of outright previews. Um, and I'm not sure whether that's a sort of knock-on effect of what we saw in the Community Shield and people started to doubt Erling Haaland, which is ridiculous if that's the case. But potentially there's... They're a, in for a shock if they're doing that. <laughs> potentially there's a... Maybe people are coming around to a similar idea that I had basically through the summer where we know Man City are the team to beat. We know they have won it for the last five years. But really there isn't a big gap between these two teams. And actually over the last four campaigns... Just one point separates the two. If you total all their sort of season-long points together, just one point difference. So I don't see the, the sort of difference between the two in terms of price being quite as big as it probably was at the beginning of the summer. Uh, I also think City, um, whilst I don't want to sort of disrespect or sort of diminish anything that Pep Guardiola is doing, he's clearly got a plan and a long-term plan too. But you know, I do think there is a slight concern about sort of letting squad players go who've made a big impact in terms of Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. And obviously Sterling as well. Um, so, you know, those kind of players made a big difference at key moments, not just last season, but throughout the last three or four campaigns as well. So I think in terms of squad, Liverpool have actually got a stronger squad. City might still have the best 11. City still are the best team and the team to beat. But um, I think the gap is, is getting closer and closer. And let's not forget that the, the title was only won by one point margin from two of those four years in which City won the title. So there's really little between the two teams. So... If I was betting, I'd still prefer Liverpool at the prices, but I, I'm not. I just, I just favour City to win the title. But Liverpool, would, for me, would be the bet if I had to have one. 
Now, I'm terribly sorry to disappoint all of his XG groupies, but the dashing doctor of data is off the market. Jake Oscarthorpe from Infogol got married over the summer, proving that number nerds do indeed get their day in the sun eventually. Uh, Jake, is there an outright price or market that really screams value to you at this stage in the Premier League? Um, not really, no. I think the, the stuff that we talked about on the uh, on the overall preview uh, pod, the prices have moved a little bit um, sort of in our direction in the, set, the selections that we put up. So Tottenham to finish top four, that's shortened very, very tight now. Um, They're hanging on your every word, Jake. That's what's happened. You're a market <laughs> mover, that's why. I'm not sure if I'd go that far. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I think... I'm quite happy with the positions that we took. Um, I think Chelsea, they've drifted slightly in that top four market, which um, you know does does interest me, does tempt me. Um, I'm not really sold on, on Arsenal just yet. I know they've had a good pre-season, but you know, it's, it's pre-season. Uh, beating Sevilla 6-0 there in what, the Emirates Cup or whatever it's called. A Sevilla team that's still got two weeks to prepare for their own, uh, or had two weeks to prepare for their own season. I'm not getting carried away with that. And obviously United are... Um, it's just a lot of things up in the air at the moment around that club. Uh, we, we think that they're going to be okay in the long term, but short term, probably not. Um, yeah, I think if you can get on um, a winner or, or winner without the big six, West Ham look an appealing price. I think Newcastle had that market, um, but I think West Ham should probably be a little bit shorter than they currently are. Um, you know, the, 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 the transfers that they've made and the, and the incomings that they're looking to make would mean that they strengthen their squad and, and their sort of consistency over the last couple of years has been excellent. So that would be one I'd still be looking at getting onside. Uh, but as for the rest, I mean, just, just visit the, the Antipose pod, podcast that we did because a lot of the stuff in there um, is still holding relatively well outside of the Premier League, I'd say. Thrilled to say that we once again get the services of betting and trading expert Mark Stinchcombe this season, the master of the sustainable edge. Stinch, we didn't get your anti-post thoughts last month, so this is a good opportunity to do just that. First of all, what do you make of those title race odds? Yeah, I'm happy to kind of accept that the odds are fine. I fully understand the argument regarding the two teams' points totals. I think it's one point difference over the last three seasons. But there's absolutely no doubt who the market rates a level above, and that's Man City. You only have to look at the prices last week in the Community Shield. They went off at 11 to 10 neutral ground via Liverpool. Which is, you know, a huge difference. If they were, if they were level in ability, you'd be looking at sort of thirteen to eight the pair. So the fact the city went off eleven to ten, Liverpool had their strongest team out bar um, Adrian instead of Allison. Um, you know, if you if you swapped Allison in, I'd still think you'd be looking at City probably thirteen to ten or something. So in my mind, there's no doubt there's a level above, and I'm very happy to very happy to trust the market in this respect. You know, this is the best team in the world. The reason the the, the market bets in the way it does is because the market has a lot of money, and the reason they've accumulated a lot of money is because they're good at making these decisions. So I'm very happy to to trust them um, overall, and. Although having said that, I think the prices are okay. I'm kind of, I'm kind of going to take it one step further, and I, I, I quite, there's bet quite, I quite like, which still involves backing Man City to win the league, and that's basically backing them to do the double to win the Champions League as well at five to one overall. So they're eight to thirteen to win the league and eleven to four to win the Champions League. I was calculating City's price overall to win the Champions League and. 
it's staggering really when you look at the when you break down what it is required to win the Champions League essentially you need to qualify out of your group you then just need to qualify through four rounds you don't actually need to win a match in 90 minutes you can obviously win during extra time or win on penalties and if you look at the odds for City to qualify they're absolutely staggering in their favor so to get out of the group you're looking at you're looking at pretty much 101 for them to get out of their group. Then if you look actually look at what the odds they go off at to qualify against decent teams in in the latter stages, it's it's just astonishing. They're one to five to beat Atletico in the quarterfinals to qualify for a semi-final. One to five, you know, that's tiny. They in that semi-final against Real Madrid, they are one to three to qualify for the final. And we're talking about eleven to four to win overall. You know, if you add all these little to qualify yeah, yeah. increments up, you don't get to eleven to four. Like literally the only thing that's kind of holding the market back really is is just people betting on, on other teams essentially. I think if people realised that the value available on City, they'd be shorter. And the reason I say that is because often the outright markets are exempt from the wise money because there isn't enough um, liquidity to make it worth their while, essentially. So it's better, they're better off spending their millions betting on match to match because they can't get the volume required to make it worth our while to bet in the outright. So the outrights are devoid, essentially, of the smart money. So, yeah, I, and I'm, I just think you can be greedy and say if they're going well in one competition, it's highly likely they're going well in the other competition. And I just don't think you want to be tying your money up on, on an odds-on shot. So I think doubling those two together to get 5-1 to one is a very good bet. This is the really interesting thing, isn't it, Stinch, about City and the Champions League? Because we talked about this a lot last season. It's those weird intangibles that come into play. We know in the league they set an incredibly high standard in terms of the data, in terms of the points total. It's absurd. We've never seen that kind of consistency year after year after year after year. But in the Champions League, you get all of those weird accumulated scars, all those weird things that happen. I mean, the the Real Madrid thing, how many times would you play that and not get that collapse at the end? You know, Jack Grealish denied by a world-class save from Courtois. They had things cleared off the line. It's bizarre, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, like for all I've, I've talked about, numbers and everything, there's nothing you can do to stop... Pep Guardiola playing Fabian Delph at left back in a massive game like that. You just have to accept that that might happen, unfortunately. Um, I don't think he'll if... come back now. I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's 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 all that's kind of holding you back. I think all that's holding... I don't... And, I think it's one of the football's fantastic mysteries that why Guardiola tends to overthink these huge games. But if he doesn't overthink, overthink and plays his normal team, you know, I think City are the fantastic bet. I mean, bearing in mind, they are favourites to win every single football match they're going into. So if you've got that on yeah. your side, I think, you you know, you're in a great position. It's, it's, it's like back in Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros, for example. You know he is, he is the favourite to win every game. Um, and yeah, I just think getting five to one on on uh, on two markets that are eight to thirteen and eleven to four, I do think they they kind of go hand in hand. Now, if we look at the relegation market, Stinch, I've looked at Fulham and Bournemouth and felt that they're in big danger. Forest, I think, have done some really interesting business. I was asked by Betfair to rank the 20 teams where I thought they would finish. So I have the tin hat firmly affixed uh, for the whole of the season for when some of those go wrong. But do you think Forrest might have enough? What do you make of the relegation market? 
I originally coming into the season, I was thinking this is going to be one of the most competitive Premier Leagues ever because essentially you're just getting a, a lot of recycled relegating teams that go down, stabilise, use the parachute payments to build themselves stronger. So essentially, in my mind, I was thinking we're going to get keep getting basically a stronger and stronger Premier League. And I was looking at seeing if I could get somebody to price up like, you know, record amount of points to stay up or a record amount of points to go down with, things like that. But then when I actually sort of like looked at the individual teams, I think there is a lot of, there's quite a few teams that are vulnerable. I think you've got probably Bournemouth, Fulham, Brentford, Leeds, Southampton, Everton and Wolves. I think you can probably make a case for, for all of them, essentially. Um, like, uh, I think Wolves and Everton have got a lot of injury problems. Um, Southampton finished the season terribly. Leeds have obviously lost Phillips and Rafinha. Brentford lost Christian Eriksen. I think they lost 13 of 21 before Eriksen yeah, arrived. That's right. Um, Fulham, we know, have been very, very yo-yo. And, and uh, Bournemouth have got Scott Park, who I'm not convinced by, and they haven't done a lot of activity. Um, no, so I... both, both Marco Silva and Scott Parker in the last few days have said effectively the same thing. We don't have enough players. That's a big worry, isn't it, going into the first weekend of the season? I know we've still got a while to go with the transfer market, but if the managers are banging the drum saying we need more players, that's a big concern. Yeah, very concerning. I mean, it's not a fantastic way to run a business, is it? Uh, maybe Fulham has spent longer working out the uh, <laughs> the ticket prices that they need yeah. in order to get the finances <laughs> to buy the players. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think the main question mark over Fulham is is Mitrovic. You know, they rely heavily on him, and he, he's kind of flopped, hasn't he? Really, in the yeah. Premier League, where he's whereas he's absolutely smashed it in the Championship. So I think that's the major talking point. But in terms of an actual bet, I haven't got a, a strong opinion on a team, but I have got a strong opinion in terms of staying up and you mentioned at the very beginning I think Nottingham Forest you can draw a massive line through them 11 to 10 I think they're going to be they're going to be absolutely fine Steve Cooper is a fantastic manager and somebody like Everton they should have been going after somebody like him not going for for Frank Lampard uh, complete opposite ends of the spectrum and I think actually season's only just started and we've slated Frank Lampard already Hooray! I think well I think we're going to come on to him a bit later so I'll, yeah. I'll probably save the best bits for them but I think you can basically flip the, the relegation market for Nottingham Forest and go and back them in a positive market elsewhere and I think you can go and take them on the season handicap at plus 51 at 16 to 1 I think it's absolutely massive start I'm not sure if you remember last season I tipped Brentford and they missed out on a, they just missed out on a place um, but Brentford were only given plus 42 Forest have been given 51 that's nine points more and I'm very happy to to say that I think I think Forest can easily achieve what the likes of Brentford have done. Leeds have done the season before. Maybe not the extreme with uh, with Leeds. Leeds got 59 points in their first season. Um, and I think that came down a lot down to Bamford. I'm not sure if Forest. We have to see how a one year gets on. We have to see how Lingard fits in. Uh, Brent, how Brennan Johnson takes to the Premier League. But I think in terms of a, a system, I think Forest defensively are going to be absolutely fine. It's just a case of how many goals will they score. Um, we know, obviously, three points, get, getting a win is going to have a, a major impact on their overall points tally compared to a draw, for example. But if you just looked at uh, Forest uh, in England, uh, in the Championships, and Steve Cooper took over, they had the most points, they had the most wins, they had the fewest goals conceded. They had the fewest defeats and they scored the second most goals. And yet they're not really, you know, they're still they're the same price as Fulham to go down, for example. And arguably, I think, you know, they should be they should be rated a lot better. 
Um, Liverpool won this market last season with 100 points, then City at 93. So if you kind of took Brentford last season, who got 46 points and gave them 51, you'd be looking at 97 points there. So that's a, you know, it's a great chance to, to win this market at a big price. And when you consider Liverpool had a handicap of eight, that's been hard this season. They've now got four. And I do think with the World Cup, you might see... Before, just before they'll go into the World Cup, I know there aren't any big teams playing each other, so arguably it should be easier to gain points. But I do think maybe players will maybe play with a little bit of the handbrake at the top teams to make sure they don't pick up an injury. You know, World yeah. Cup is a huge thing for a player's career. And then when they return, you know, they, the first game back is Boxing Day, I believe. How many players are going to be ready to play then on Boxing Day? You know, maybe they want to spend time with their family over Christmas, etc. So the, I think we might see a little bit of a drop off. City got 93 points last season I think that might drop off a little bit so I think if yeah if if Forrest can get somewhere in the region of, of 45 points 43 points something I think they've got a fantastic chance of winning this and any bit less you've got a great chance for a place in this market so yeah just to flip your relegation question around I think if you can get Forrest on side as much as possible I think the handicap is fantastic because you don't have to bat them in each individual game you know that you've got them on side already Always makes me happy if I've made a prediction and then Stinch says something that tallies with that. That gives me a nice warm glow. Now, it all kicks off on Friday night. Arsenal go to Crystal Palace. Arsenal, the 1.9 favourites here. Palace, 4.5. Palace absolutely wiped the floor with Arsenal in a 3-0 win at Selhurst Park last season. Mark, how do we see this one playing out? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very tricky opening game for Arsenal, isn't it? Um, I certainly wouldn't be confident backing them at odds on prices, that's for sure. And I know people will look towards what happened at the start of last season when Arsenal went to Brentford in similar circumstances on a Friday night and, and were well beaten, really. But uh, I think it's, it's probably wrong to make too many comparisons with that match. Um, Arteta had a bit of a scrap squad together at the start of last season. He doesn't have so many issues this time around, but it still would make me feel a little bit wheezy backing them at those kind of prices. So, you know, people are talking about Arsenal looking superb in pre-season and they you know, absolutely eviscerated Sevilla last weekend with quite a strong 11. Gabriel Jesus looking very sharp. But, you know, I don't really breed anything into pre-season, really. So, you know, I've praised them for their consistency in recent shows, for, for winning matches when they're expected to win. And, you know, in fairness to them, when they started off as uh, odds-on favourites, um, 11 times away from home under Arteta, they've won eight times, which is obviously a very good return but it's worth picking up on the point that they lost five times away at bottom half teams last season so those kind of issues still remain from previous campaigns you mentioned the 3-0 pummeling at Palace you look at the prices back then that was only as, as recently as April actually um, Arsenal went off at 2.07 so have they improved dramatically have Palace regressed um, Arsenal I, I would assume will have it will improve considering the signings that they have made but Palace I don't think will have regressed significantly I know Conor Gallagher's not there and he's very influential, but um, Decore is a wonderful addition from Lons. Um, yeah. And, you know, they've got Fit Eze back in the squad now as well, and they've got an attack which looks really exciting and lively. Michael Elise, Zaha, Mateta, Edouard. There's a lot to like about Palace, and, and Jake will tell you about their XG process, but it was very, very strong last season, uh, very much top eight uh, material. So, in, in theory, they actually kind of underachieved compared to, to what they actually produced on the pitch. So, yeah, I think they're slightly underrated here. Uh, only three times last season at Selhurst Park did... Palace score for a, a bigger price. Uh, they held Man City here. They beat Arsenal. They beat Spurs. They beat United. Chelsea only won by a single goal as well. So, you know, traditionally we're told that Selhurst is a difficult place to go. And I think 
particularly on the opening day as well. So there was actually two sort of angles I liked to this. I think you can get Palace plus three quarters on the Asian handicap on side at around about 1.85, which is which is really nice. It just means if Arsenal win by exactly one goal, you only lose half of your stake, but you actually get paid out in full if, if uh, Palace win or draw that match. And both teams to score, I think, is, is a big runner too, just considering the, the attacking Arsenal from both teams, really. I mentioned the Palace players, but obviously Arsenal have, have reloaded with Jesus up top too. So I'm expecting quite a good game. Um, one thing of note I would say is um, Arsenal have got uh, Tommy Eshu is a, in a race against time to be fit. It looks like he's going to probably going to miss out. So in pre-season, Ben White's been filling in at right back and uh, Willie Saliba, who had a fantastic uh, period in French, French football, is back. He's been really impressive alongside Gabriel at centre-half, but that would worry me, actually, from a, an Arsenal perspective of Ben White up against you know, Zaha and Tyrek Mitchell going down that left-hand side. So uh, that's something to look out for. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm quite confident both teams will score and I think Palace will be very, very competitive and that certainly would back Arsenal at those prices. Yeah, Jake, you've been effusive in your praise of Palace and what they've done under Vieira. I know if you've just looked at the bare points totals and whatever compared to the Roy Hodgson era, you'd think there hadn't been much of a move, but there really has, hasn't there? Oh, yes. Biggest move uh, from season on season that in the entire Premier League. Their year-on-year improvement from an XG standpoint was just remarkable. And um, yeah, I think I think Vieira probably hasn't got the credit that he deserves for what he did last season, not only from, um, you know, on the spreadsheets, which is what we're dealing with, but also on the pitch because he made them a much better watch. They played much better football. Um, and, you know, the data itself to, to, to almost transform Palace in those two ways on the to the eye test and to the data is, is a remarkable feat. And as, um, yeah, as Mark mentioned, the XG numbers from them last season were just staggering, really. They, they actually ranked as the sixth best team in the entire Premier League based on expected points, um, according to the Infocom model. Sixth best on expected goal difference. So, yeah, in, in my book, there's no way that we can be looking at Arsenal to, to win this game. Around 1.9, that's just way too short. Way too short. Um, Mark mentioned the meeting back in April went off uh, 2.07. Personally, like obviously working with the data and seeing how good Palace were, particularly at home, which I'll get onto in a second, I'd have had them a little bit close to maybe 2.3, 2.4 for that game um, at Selhurst. So now we get look, we, the, the fact that they've gone shorter um, is you know it's, it's slightly baffling to me, and um, I think the the biggest case for me around getting Crystal Palace on side is the home form last season, um, not just in general, uh, but actually against the big teams, which Mark hinted at. So at Sellers Park last season, they again ranked as the sixth best team in the entire Premier League, sixth best home team based on expected points, expected goal difference, but they actually ranked as the third best team based on expected goals against. So they were the third best defensive team at home in the entire Premier League. Only Manchester City and Liverpool conceded fewer chances on a regular basis. Um, and yeah, th- there's no reason why those levels can't be maintained this season because they've kept the bulk of that squad together. They've improved it. They've brought in a couple of players, um, a couple of players coming back fit. And yeah, when we dive deeper into the games against the top six, not only did they get good results, but the performances were really impressive as well. Um, so against the traditional big six at home they averaged 1.34 expected goals for and 1.19 expected goals against per game so they actually posted a positive xg process um against the, the big six which is something that is extraordinary rare. isn't it really oh it, is, it really is it's exceptionally rare and obviously the the, the, the hammerings uh, over tottenham and arsenal helped that but 
Um, there was only really Manchester City in that goal of straw that that, that dominated them on the XG. That was two point two five to Man City, zero point five three to Palace. Uh, but even against Liverpool, it was one point six three Palace, one point seven two Liverpool, and, and that was a three one game in Liverpool's favour. So, um, yeah, they, they, the way in which they've competed against the bigger teams has been exceptional. Um, the fact that this is at Selhurst only strengthens my feelings that Palace can get a good, a very positive result. And when we dive into Arsenal. Uh, and their away form and how untrustworthy they are still on the road um, only adds further, um, sort of, sort of strengthens my opinion of, of getting Palace on side because they lost nine of nineteen last season did Arsenal away from home. Their XG process was minus zero point four expected goal difference per game. So, you know that on average every away game they played they were um, second best by almost one big chance. Um, and even if we re- remove the what we'd call XG spankings at the Etihad and Anfield. Is that an official term, XG spankings? It, it, it now is, yeah. Right, um, okay. That's, that's yeah, we need to patent that, don't we? Um, but yeah, they, they, they still boast a negative process, even if you just remove the, to, the two trips to the two best teams in the league. So they were consistent, they were getting out, out created by their opponents away from home. So all of that adds up to a very pro Palace position um, in my mind. And a couple of ways to go about it. I'd be, I wouldn't put anyone off back in Palace to, obviously win this game um, at a big price but I just thought the sensible money was to to lay Arsenal at 1.91 on the exchange I just think that that price is way too short I probably would still have them closer to 2.1 2.15 I think there's been a lot of um, there's, there's a lot of positive vibes around Arsenal at the minute just purely because everyone thinks they've had a good transfer window and they're, they're playing well in friendlies but this is a really really big test for um, of their metal early doors and, and I'm more than happy to take them on and you know I'm could be proved wrong. This this Arsenal team could be, you know, the the second coming of Arsene Wenger's invincibles. You know, it, it, they could be that good. But at this moment in time, there's no evidence for me at all to um, to think that that they're a bet at that price. And, and I'm more than happy to attack it. And if there's anybody out there who has an interest in football data and burlesque and wants to start an act <laughs> called Expected Spankings, we will give you that copyright for free. You can have that. <laughs> So there you go. That's our first gift of the season to you. It's worth bearing in mind you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Palace against Arsenal. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus see gamblerware.org. Stinch, if we were thinking about a bet builder for this one, which way would you go? What would you be throwing in there? Um, I've got quite an exciting, uh, <clears throat> exciting one I think for Friday night to kickstart the season. It's uh, it's sixteen to one, and it's it's only requires two things to happen, which I don't think are that far fetched. So it's Gabriel Jesus to score and Ben White to be shown a card, like just Why two things. Sixteen and that's to it. one. Yeah, I think that's massive. Like Jesus has scored uh, seven goals in preseason, including the hat trick against Sevilla. And even before that, I was very confident he's going to do he's going to do well at Arsenal. Um, it's 58 Premier League goals in five and a half seasons at City. Uh, often he's been played as a winger, um, which equates to a goal every 160 minutes. So to kind of put that into context, Salah and Kane operate in like 127, 128 minutes. Um, Alan Shearer, obviously Premier League record scorer, 147 minutes. So if Jesus has shifted full time from winger to striker, 
then I think his minutes are obviously going to go down as well. And even if they don't, like he's still in a similar, he's still in, a, he's still in the same conversation of those in terms of his rate of scoring. So yeah, very confident he's going to he's going to do uh, well at Arsenal. And uh, Mark mentioned that Ben White will probably play right back, so it's likely he'll be up against Sahar. He was booked in two of his last six games at the back end of last season. But the thing that kind of more stood out for me is uh, two of the cards he picked up last season was after he was kind of shifted to the to the right in games where Suarez or Tomiyasu were, were subbed um, and they went a bit more attacking. Um, so I think he, he is vulnerable in that position. And Anthony Taylor's the ref. Uh, he ref Palace twice last season. He showed five cards in both of them. And that's kind of no surprise, really, because Palace rank in the top three for fouls um, against and top three for fouls for. So essentially, they give it out as much as they receive it. So um, I know Mark likes a likes a, a game with lots of uh, um, violence. Or, yes, and <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think honestly, Friday night uh, under the lights. I think obviously the atmosphere at Palace is is going to be really really good. And uh, yeah, I think this is uh, fantastic odds to cheer on. I was going to throw this one out to the squad, but Stinch has come up with an absolute blinder there. Jake, what would you hurl in? I know Mark's very keen on the Ben White card angle of this. Yeah, that, that angle sounds fantastic, really. And, and obviously, we're, we're relying on team use there. But from everything the guys have said, that looks like it should be a real runner. Um, for me, I don't know, because I've got such a pro Palace angle, um, I'd have to throw in Palace or the draw if, if, you'll, if you'll let me. Of course, you do what if, you want, if no one, yeah. You've been on the show ages, you can do what you want. Be a <laughs> maverick, it's all good. But yeah, I, I think that sounds uh, that sounds very exciting indeed. Let's take it on to Saturday then, because Liverpool visit Fulham at lunchtime. It's only £3,000 a ticket uh, to make it down there. It's not quite £3,000 a ticket. I'm being slightly flippant, but there has been a lot of controversy over the ticket prices for this game. Mark Marco Silva, the Fulham boss, has been saying the squad's not strong enough. It does feel like they've got a lot more work to do. Yeah, very much so. Um, this, I'd be very concerned for, for Fulham, not just for the weekend, but for the season ahead, really. And, you know, they played, um, I can't remember who they played last weekend in the final pre-season game. Was it Villarreal at Craven Cottage? Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the comments are coming out of uh, Marco Silva afterwards. Very frustrated, very disgruntled at how the summer's gone so far. He said they've only had three senior outfield players on the bench for that friendly against Villarreal. Uh, and in his own words, nobody can compete at this level with just 16 senior players. Uh, two of those are actually centre-halves. So they've got no one else. One of which is Tim Ream, who uh, isn't Premier League class at all. So, um, yeah, that's a, a real worry for Fulham, who uh, won promotion with a great degree of, of optimism. But uh, I think having watched them quite regularly last season, uh, they had, uh, well, they were absolutely superb in the final third when they fancied it. But quite often or not, they were pretty mundane, actually, too. And it was quite a poor championship. And their points tally wasn't significantly high compared to other years, really. So, um I think they're going to be in for, in for a difficult season, really. Um, and I think they're going to be in for a very difficult afternoon trying to contain a Liverpool squad, but just blessed with so many attacking options. Probably one of the best squads in world football these days. Um, Stinch already talked about the Community Shield performance and the fact that only Allison was really missing from the first choice 11. So, you know, I know it's not a competitive game, but you know, they've still got a decent match under their belts. And last season, they went to Norwich and won 3 0 on the opening weekend of the season. Norwich obviously coming up as champions as well. So there's a, a nice sort of mirror there. But uh, yeah, Liverpool last season, 13 wins from 16 away at teams outside the, the top three, uh, covered the, the minus one and a half goal hurdle in four of their five trips to the bottom five, scored 16 goals in those five matches and 
over the course of all 19 away games, averaged 2.37 goals per game as well. So, yeah, it looks pretty one-sided to me. I'll be back in Liverpool to, to overcome a decent hurdle. Stinch, we've got Newcastle taking on Nottingham Forest. We've obviously talked about Forest and how exciting they could be. A lot of people think Newcastle obviously won't necessarily make top four or anything crazy like that, but it should be a significant step forward for them, shouldn't it? I don't know, really, because they've only really signed Sven Botman and Nick Pope, right, in the, in the summer. They made Matt Target's loan permanent, but... Don't really rate him, so not bothered about that. They got Callum Wilson back, so that's a, that's a positive. He ended the season quite well. I think he scored a, I think he scored a couple of goals in the last day of the season. So they've that they, they, that's a positive. And um, uh, once Trippier is fully fit, I'm not sure his uh, current uh, fitness levels, but yeah, he's he's a fantastic threat from right back. Um, similar to, I think probably he could probably have a similar am- impact depending how how bold Eddie Howe goes to uh, how uh, Trent does at Liverpool. If he can get the further. He get trippier forward the more chances newcastle yeah. will, will ultimately create and he's obviously very very good at uh, dead balls but having said that you know i, I can't have newcastle newcastle is shorter than eight to 13 here like can't can't be having that at all i mean you look at um you look at newcastle under eddie howe last season against teams outside or against the non-big six if you like at home and their average odds were 13 to 10 so how can we go be going now down to nearly like four to seven? Like yeah, bizarre really. Uh don't don't agree with that at all. I mean Is this something we can take advantage of, Stinch? Because everybody's going, Oh, it's Newcastle, they've spent loads of money, but are they actually that good? So yeah. are there gonna be gaps here that betters can look at and think, Yeah, that price is wrong? Yeah, I think basically the traders, if you look at like the uh, markets, Jake touched on it earlier, winner without the big six, Newcastle are, are heavy favourites. I think traders, rightfully so, they've, they've just been um, proactive, really. They know that Newcastle have got unlimited money, essentially. So why would you why would you offer Newcastle as if they're finishing sort of bottom half when you know that that will just attract that will just attract bad money essentially you know I think Newcastle yeah. might be two to one without the big six if you had them bottom half you'd be looking at sort of seven to one eight to one maybe even a double figure price you don't want to be taking money at, at those odds when I know Newcastle haven't spent the money but they know that the money's there there's still a whole month well, pretty much the whole month left of yeah. the transfer window. So they might do some more stuff. I mean, they're trying to sign Madison, apparently. Um, you know, that might be the snowball effect. That might be the first one that comes in if he does move. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, uh, I think the market is just basically being defensive about Newcastle's potential. And I don't think that's, that's anything bad. But on the flip side, I think we can take advantage. So Jake's mentioned West Ham to, to be, win the top six without Newcastle. That's one way you can you can do it. I think, as, as I'm kind of alluding to here, I want to oppose Newcastle on this week. Uh, until the market maybe catches up with them yes they might they might win this game um, but I don't think long term it's a positive EV bet to be to be taking Newcastle out of these odds I mean they're only odds on twice at home last season against War- Watford and Norwich but in those games they were they were sort of four to five and ten to eleven so you know and I think Forrest are better than both of those two teams um, I mean Eddie Howe won 13 games in charge but nine of those were by a single goal which just goes to show you those fine margins um, and if you 
back the opposition plus one, which is the route I'm going down here, your bet would have only have lost in four of his 27 games. Um, and I know I waxed lyrical about Forrest earlier on, but we've already seen them come up against Premier League opposition a few times last season. I know it's in the FA Cup, so you could say second string teams, for example. Played know... well, though, didn't they? Played really Exactly, well. exactly. If you actually watch the games, I mean, they gave Liverpool a, a ridiculously close run. And Liverpool's second string team would be good enough probably to finish in the top six in the Premier League. Um, and this is a Liverpool team that only lost four of 63 games, I think, last season. And, you know, and we're going for the quadruple up until uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, and they beat they beat Arsenal and they beat Leicester. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this Forest team already prepped, ready to go in the Premier League. And, and the odds are, are priced up basically on, New, on Nottingham Forest, yeah, being the second worst team in the league. And I really don't think they will be. It's the Frank sorry. Lampard. Oh, sorry, sorry Forest, Forest. I didn't even say the bet. Forest plus no, one, around about one point eight on the exchange. So if they lose by a single goal, we get our money back. If they avoid defeat, you'll profit. Always good for the host to cut off the uh, the, the tipster just as they're about to give the tip. That's uh, presenting one oh one there. Uh, it is, as I was going to say, the Frank Lampard Classico. I was so excited about that that I had to jump in and just tell everybody. Uh, Everton against Chelsea. Chelsea 1.68, even though they lost that fixture towards the back end of last season. That was right in the middle of Everton fans getting very excited with flares and things like that. All very exciting as they stormed clear of the relegation battle. Um, Jake, what have you got for us here? Because it's a strange one, isn't it? Because I don't necessarily think Everton are as bad as people fear. I don't think they'll go down. But Chelsea are in flux because they have some holes in their squad they need to fill. Todd Bowley seems to be determined to spend a ton of money this summer. So it, they're both in flux to some extent, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we touched on it in the in the outright preview shows that we're not big fans of Frank Lampard um, in general or Everton, uh, and the business that they've done so far has been very underwhelming. Um, and it kind of has to be, doesn't it? Because of FFP, they've kind of got themselves into yeah, a, bit of a yeah, bit of a tangle. Exactly. But they're, they're, what, what I mean is that they are very much weaker this season than they were last season, purely because they've lost Richarlison, who was such a key player to pulling them to safety um, at the back end of last season. Uh, one of the things I did obviously talk about was styles and uh, and systems and. Uh, we know that Lampard is generally a very attack-minded coach. We saw that at Derby at Chelsea for his playing days, he's an attack-minded player. Um, so it was really sort of, um, I guess the word would be unusual, um, or maybe his hand was forced towards the back end of last season to really revert to a, a, a sort of a deep-line block, counter-attacking style football, just trying to get out of relegation trouble. Um, they obviously worked for them, particularly at Goodison. Do we have to they... give him some credit for that? I know we do give him a bit of stick, but he actually... To go against your principles in general as a coach, to actually be pragmatic and get something like that done, that does speak for him, I think, to some extent, doesn't it? Because a lot of coaches wouldn't do that. Yes, yes, and no. I think <laughs> um... so determined not to give him any credit <laughs> at all. No, I, I, look, look, he's, he's worked with what he got, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, last week, uh, last year, he worked with what he had, um, and what he had wasn't very good. Uh, he had quite a few injuries he had to deal with, which didn't help. Um, and yeah, ultimately, he looked at that and thought that the best way that they're going to get points is to be difficult to beat and try and eke out those narrow 1-0 wins that we know in the long term aren't sustainable. But in, in a season where you need points ultimately to survive, that, that's, that was the best way he thought of doing it. And um, yeah, it, it, it made for sort of a really bad watch from the neutrals point of view. Uh, but the way in which they played that 
combative, really in-your-face kind of style really suited them at Goodison Park. And it meant that the fans were right behind them. Um, and, you know, ultimately, in, to his credit, their, their underlying process at home under Lampard was positive. Um, 1.17 expected goals for, 1.14 against. Now, you can just from reading those numbers out, you, the stinch is laughing because you can tell that, that ultimately all they did was just limit chances at both ends. Uh, and just made make the, the every single match in front of the Goodison crowd a, a scrap, basically, yeah. um, and just limited the quality of chances that they were creating themselves because they were happy to defend and play without the ball. Also, that deep line block was really difficult to break down. And um, you know, I think the injury news that's come through the last couple of days of Calvert Lewin missing this game again, it just sort of forces Lampard's hand in the sense that he can't really play an attacking brand of football in this match in particular because he's not no strikers. Yeah, <laughs> Solomon Rondon's suspended as well. Um you know and he's not great as a backup. So yeah he, he they're struggling on that front and I and I think that forces the hand for Everton to play in a very defensive style, defensive manner this time around. This game in particular, you know, you brought in Tarkovsky who is perfect for this defensive style, deep line block kind of football, as is Michael Keane, because they did that for Burnley for years. Um, so, yeah, and, and you mentioned Chelsea there, things up in the air, really, uh, about what they're going to be by the end of the transfer window. Um, and, you know, there's still a few question marks. They were impressive away from home last season. They picked up 40 of their 74 points uh, on the road. Uh, and while I, while I do think that they will go to, to Goodison and get a win, I, I just thought the price on under two and a half goals just stood out at, at 1.93 on the exchange. That just looks a little bit too big to me because, you know, Chelsea away from home themselves last season, they weren't prolific creators. They only averaged 1.6 expected goals for per game, way below the likes of uh, Liverpool over two, Manchester City over two, Tottenham just shy of two. Um, so they weren't overly expressive themselves. Um, and, and as I said, I think Everton are going to be playing to keep this as tight as possible, which means that goals and chances are going to be few and far between. Uh, and I think that unders should give us a real run for his money. Mark, Aston Villa, to me, have done some quite exciting business. I think they're quite an interesting team. They'll go to Bournemouth first up. How do you see this one? Similar to what we talked about with Fulham, really. Uh, we're talking about Bournemouth team who've come up and any sort of good feeling and, and confidence and, and buoyancy from a promotion has been long lost, really. Um, they look really ill-equipped and ill-prepared for a Premier League campaign. And It's kind of weird, is- isn't it? I mean, why would you, you go to all that effort to go up in the first place? And I know German clubs would look at this and just think, what are they doing? Because the German clubs, I know, do get their business done very, very early. And they're kind of, it's only the really badly run ones that are scrambling towards the end. But if you're a promoted club, surely you need to try and get settled as quick as you possibly can. You'd think so, yeah. Um, I've, I've no real answers for it, to be honest. It's just uh, poor management from above. Um, I know Fulham, there's been some tension behind the scenes. Uh, I'm not sure about Bournemouth. I think there's rumours that there could be some sort of takeover or change of ownership at, at the club at some point soon, and that might be holding things up. But uh, Scott Parker seems really frustrated. He said himself after last weekend's friendly that they barely have any defenders. He said they've lost eight players since the start of the, uh, start of the summer. Uh, and at this present moment in time, he said this squad is much weaker than it was two months ago when we won promotion. So you look at central defence as a prime example. Bournemouth have three senior centre-backs on the books. That's Captain Lloyd Kelly, Chris Mepham and James Hill. Mepham started only eight games as centre-back last season in the Championship. Hill played two minutes. So obviously huge cause for concern there. Parker seems insistent on playing um, five at the back, so three centre-halves. 
Uh, he said himself again, that's he, the system he will play this weekend. It's the 11 he played against Sociedad, which will sort of basically be a rinse and repeat in terms of the goalkeeper and, and back five because he doesn't have any other options. So it's quite easy, I guess, for Villa to try and prepare for this one. But um, yeah, I think what's quite interesting about Villa, you mentioned that the additions of uh, Camara and Diego Carlos in particular should make them much more difficult to beat. And there's a there's real ability there as well as an ability to battle as well, which um, will obviously put them on a, a good good front footing. But Leon Bailey and Emi Buendia have been playing very well. There's no major injuries or in injury issues in the squad either. So I think Villa will be looking towards top half finish this season. But yeah. I thought it was quite interesting too that um, Villa's new assistant is Neil Critchley. Um, who was Blackpool boss last season. And if you look at the matches that Bournemouth played against Blackpool, obviously it's a, a team with a lot of money and a lot of uh, uh, flex, if you like, uh, compared to one that's uh, newly promoted the championship. And Blackpool gave Bournemouth two really tough goings over. So he'll know all about the, the style and the system and what to expect. And yeah, that's uh, obviously an, an asset for Aston Villa to have too. So um, I looked at the prices. You can get evens on Villa to score two or more goals here. But actually, uh, I think Villa to win and under four and a half goals at five to four would probably be preferable because uh, I just cannot see Bournemouth doing anything else than playing an ultra-defensive system, being quite pragmatic and just trying to limit the damage, really. And um, Parker's not the, the sort of most um, effervescent coach and trying to get his teams to play forward-thinking football. He's quite pragmatic in, in style. So um, I think Villa will be too good on the day, but I don't see it being a, a complete hose-up. Uh, certainly not more than five goals. Yeah, I do like the look of Villa this season and I think Mark's right. I think Critchley might actually end up being uh, probably their best signing of the summer. Now, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.com. Org. Lots of people understandably getting excited about Tottenham this season under Antonio Conte. They face Southampton. Jake, we've already touched on the fact that Southampton made a poor st- poor end to last season. Got a lot of interesting young talent there. Ralph Hasenhutl, the coach, clearly wants a young group that he can mould and lots of energy. But they haven't got a huge amount of experience. They're relying on guys like James Ward-Prowse to actually really lead this group. Yeah, I think Southampton are an interesting team to assess because um, they're one of the probably biggest unknowns given the, the sort of moves they've made in the market. Um, we know that Hasenhutl likes playing and likes signing those young players he can mould and adapt to his system, his style, um, which all, which makes them a really difficult team to sort of nail down in terms of you know where we think they're going to finish. I think ultimately they'll be in, in and around the bottom eight. They could slip through the trapdoor definitely um, if things don't go right, but yeah, I'm not expecting to start very well. I was say no. Uh, really, really excited about Tottenham this season. Um, I think most people are. The, the, the signings they've made, the improvements. I don't think Arsenal fans are. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, yeah. they should be worried, I think. They should be very worried. Uh, and to be fair, Chelsea fans should be a little bit worried as well because I think Spurs have, have bridged that gap to Chelsea now. Um, now they've brought Conte in and obviously improved the squad quite remarkably. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very confident of a, of a Tottenham win this weekend. The... Um, they, they were just, in general, excellent in, after Antonio Conte took charge, particularly so at home. Um, they just created an absolute hatload of chances whenever they played at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 2.4 expected goals for per home game. I'm expecting similar. Uh, we know what you're going to get with this Tottenham team in terms of setup, uh, in terms of system, in terms of structure. Um, but it's really difficult to stop because they've got ex- exceptional quality, particularly at the top end of the pitch. So um, I'm fully expecting a Spurs win. 
<coughs> but given the the attacking outlets that they now have um, beyond Kane and Son, I'm fully expecting the goals to flow uh, and Spurs to win an over two and a half goals around even money on the exchange. It just looks like a, a really solid bet. It's a bet that landed in pretty much all, all of their home matches under Conte um, at the back end of last season. And uh, yeah, I, I think it should be go very close again, given Southampton's um, defensive woes, particularly at the back end of last season away from home. They were allowing around 1.9 expected goals against per game. So strong attack versus weak defence. And, and I think that Spurs will get off to the perfect start. Now, the Bundesliga season gets underway this weekend. RB Leipzig's Christopher Nkunku is a great bet, I think, to score against Stuttgart away from home on Sunday. He's 9-5 to on the sportsbook. Now, Stuttgart, I think, are really going to struggle this season. They're still relying on this policy of developing young talent. That's great, but it nearly got them relegated last season. They're relying on Sasha Kalajic to score goals, but he might leave before the transfer window shuts. Borna Sosa's not been great either, and he is one of their key players. So I think there are problems there. And Kunku was voted as the Bundesliga's player of the season last season. He scored in the Super Cup recently against Bayern. Got 35 goals in all competitions last season. So quite frankly... For him to be 9-5 to five to score against one of the weakest teams in the league, uh, I think is way too big. Now, talking of the Bundesliga, new feature called Mark My Words, where our very own Mark O'Hare gives us a European nap for the weekend. Like many of Alan Partridge's ideas, I came up with the title first and went from there. So, Mark O'Hare, the stage is yours. Yeah, well, it's hard to, I think, dismiss goals in the game between Dortmund and Leverkusen on Saturday. Uh, what a wonderful, uh, mouth-watering opening weekend game that is from the Bundesliga. Um, anyone who doesn't know, the last 11 meetings between these two teams have just been full of goals and entertainment. Uh, 5.18 goals per game in those 11 recent league meetings. 10 of the 11 went over two and a half. Nine featured four or more goals. Nine also saw both teams scoring as well. Last season's two matchups between them produced 14 goals. And actually, <laughs> we talked about it last season quite a lot when the big four met. Uh, that's Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund or Leverkusen. Uh, they're almost always thrilling affairs. Those 12 matches between the top four averaged 4.5 goals, 10 of 12 going over two and a half, nine going over three and a half and 11 seeing both teams scoring. So to me, it makes sense to sort of follow the trends and find a goals-based angle. I like over three and a quarter goals uh, on the goal line on the exchange at 1.86. Uh, basically means if there's exactly three goals, we only lose half of our stake. If there's four or more, we get paid out. Um, but yeah, particularly so after seeing both teams in, in DFB Pokal action last weekend. Dortmund very good very early on uh, against 1860 Munich. Admittedly a third tier team, but a uh, four pronged attack of Marlon, Mukuku, uh, Re- uh, Marco Royce, and Adeyemi. Um Plenty of encouragement there despite Holland going and, and uh, obviously Sebastian Allaire uh, on the sidelines. No Nicolas Sula this weekend either. So, you know, Schotterbeck, a great signing. He'll be lining up alongside Hummels, which obviously causes a bit of concern. And then you've got Leverkusen, who are embarrassed by a a three-league aside, uh, Elfsberger. Is that right? Elfsberg, yes. Yes, that's the the most Leverkusen thing ever, generally. (laughs) They, they, They fall prey to lower league teams so often in the Cups. Crazy. Bizarre as well. 4-3, and they had a really strong team out as well. Uh, and Leverkusen have basically kept last season's squad together and they've added Adam Plozek as well, the, the Czech, the really exciting youngster uh, going forward. But uh, they can call upon Patrick Schick, Asmoon, uh, Musa Diaby as well. So plenty of firepower. You've basically got two great gung-ho teams going forward. 
I think legitimate doubts defensively about both. So more than backing, more than happy to back overs in a in this game here. So uh, yeah, over three and a quarter goals. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a feature so revered that Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's wholesome song, WAP, was originally called NAP. It was about actors they fancied in MLS. Now, how this works is each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action. Our lovely traders, they're all delightful people, uh, wrap them up in a boosted treble for you. So I'm going to start with Mark Stinchcombe. I'm going to take Chelsea around about 8-13. Uh, Everton about Cavalier, Rondon, Richarlison, obviously so. Townsend, Coleman, probably Yerry Mina. Uh, Cavalier, Rondon, Richarlison scored 16 of Everton's goals last season. Chelsea, similar price to uh, the last two times they've been to Goodison. Um, but that was with the likes of Richarlison and Cavalier in there. So in my mind, they, sh- they should be shorter. Um, the way the odds are pro- uh, calculated in this match suggests that Everton's expected goals here is 0.9. Um, the aforementioned Cavalier and Rondon and Richarlison, they combined to score 37% of Everton's goals last season. If you take that away from that 0.9 figure, um, it would make Chelsea a 4-9 to shot. So I think there's uh, plenty of juice in this uh, Chelsea price. Jake, what have you got for us? Um, I'll go with Spurs. He always seems I surprised. Yeah. He always seems really surprised. Well, I thought you were going to go to Mark. Cause, yeah, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. I think Mark, Mark's either going to go for Villa or Liverpool, I think. And if you, He's if now you went... guessing what Mark's going to do. Rather yeah. Than, okay. Because if, okay. if you didn't go for Villa, I was going to throw that in as a bigger price just to boost it. But Shall I go to, to Mark first? first? Would that yeah, make go it on, easier? Yeah, Mark, come on. Well, look, if Jake wants to back Aston Villa, that's fine. I'll just pack Liverpool. I'll take the shorty. That's that's the easy option yeah. here. As, yeah, I didn't want to. Say, I didn't want you go Liverpool and me go Spurs as well, because then it's going to be a very short hacker. So yeah, Alfred Billerin for all the reasons Mark mentioned before. Um, I think they're going to be very well ready for this game and Bournemouth a lot of um, sort of negativity, doom and gloom around in the last couple of weeks, and, and they're a team that none of us are fancying to do very well anyway. So yeah, Villa uh, shade of odds against. I think um, could prove a big price come the end of the season. So we've got Chelsea to win. We've got Villa to win. And we've got Liverpool to win. There we go. There's our treble. Uh, Mark, just finally, you've got a pick from Lee Gower for us because that's getting started soon as well. Uh, kind of, yeah. It was kind of to do a, a double, really, because um, I wanted to back PSG minus one and a half, but the price has long gone. So what you can do, we mentioned Liverpool earlier, going to Fulham. You can double up Liverpool to win and over one and a half goals and PSG to win and over one and a half goals. Back the double, basically, at 1.87, which I think is a really appealing price. Uh, PSG looked really tasty in the Trophy de Champions last weekend in Christophe Gauthier's first game, uh, switching system to 3-4-3, Neymar and Messi looking fit and fresh and and really motivated. Messi in particular was exceptional, which is quite promising. Now they get Kylian Mbappe back from suspension as well, uh, so they'll be even stronger. They're playing a Clermont team. They they host 4-0 and 6-1 last season. Their record against teams in 10th and below was 20 wins, 2 draws and 0 defeats. 15 of those 20 wins by 2 or more goals and and Clermont's team have been decimated really through the through the summer, uh, five first-choice players have departed, including their star striker and the really influential bio. Uh, both fullbacks, a centre-back and a central midfielder are also gone. They lost seven of nine at home to the top nine. If you look in terms of the over one-half goals, uh, just four of Liverpool's wins uh, didn't feature two or more goals last season in the Premier League and just one of PSG's matches in which they won didn't feature two or more goals. So I think it's a nice double, actually, at 1.87. 
Well, that's all we have time for on this bumper edition of Football Only Better. The first one's always great because you've got loads of stuff to throw in there. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We'll have another show coming up looking at Sunday's action for you lucky, lucky people. And remember, plenty of coverage of the Premier League, the EFL, all the major European leagues too on our website, betting.betfair.com. From Stitch, from Mark, from Jake and from me, it's goodbye for now.